Thanks for joining us on another episode of Psyche of Sales. This is where we look into the mindset and the psyche of great leaders and great salespeople from all walks of life and share it with you. My name's Johnny Lee. I'm the co-founder and CEO of EnableSE and EnableIQ.com. And today we've got a special guest. His name is Clifford Bennett. Now, I didn't know Clifford much before we had this episode, and I met him at a restaurant in Felix, and we got chatting. Clifford's a macro and micro economist in the global financial markets. And we talk about this idea of how do you translate something complicated and try and simplify it to your audience? How do you ensure that you match not just the content for the audience, but the energy and your language? And I hope you'll see that Clifford's a very, very accomplished speaker. He's a great communicator. And when it comes to the market, he knows what he's talking about as well. So appreciate having Clifford on. If you get some value from this, and I know you will, please like it, please review it, please share it, because we want to get our message out to as many people as we can. We met in a very interesting circumstances, so I want us to explore how we did that. And then I also want to explore a couple of things. And number one is Clifford's an economist, and we want to talk about the work that he had to put in to become an economist, but the work to maintain it. And the second aspect is Clifford is a very good communicator. So we want to talk about how you can be a great communicator from an expertise or a technical standpoint. So let's get started. Clifford, great to have you on Enable IQ Masterclass. We might start, if that's okay, by telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I've been an economist uh, for about 34, 35 years now, Johnny, uh, since I was two years old, obviously. I'm now about 36, 37. That's right. Um, but uh, no, I love what I do, and it's a fabulous passion to have because it's all about being a student of the world. And uh, I'm a little bit different to most economists. I've had the same kind of traditional training, but uh, also I spent a little bit of time as a junior naval officer. Uh, which kind of gave me a little bit of an advantage when it comes to financial market economics because in the military you have to make decisions based on imperfect information and that's really what the world of economics is about, imperfect information. But I call my own brand of economics look out the window economics. So it's about applying common sense to what's going on in the real world around you and really I'd like to empower people with the idea that all of us can be our own economist and increase the power that we have in our own business and, and wealth decisions by just applying common sense to the world. There's very fast shifting moods of human behavior in the world at the moment, new technology and everything. Uh, and so, uh, you know, really the individual can think a lot faster than the big corporate monolith ivory tower economic units. You know, you have to be really on your toes and not make decisions by committee in this, this kind of environment. But I love economics. It's about people. I try to match my uh, market economics insights with uh, suggestions for better policy at government level uh, to empower a more equal playing field for the entire populace, if you like. I, you know, I'm a big believer in equal access for everyone to opportunity. So that's very much an economic endeavor. I love it. It's that idea that you talk about is, is the ability to move and think quickly. Um, I spent a lot of time listening to a lot of uh, startup entrepreneurs that have gone through that they're no longer startups, whether it's Airbnb or Coinbase, or it could be Instagram. And they talk about those early days and the ability to make quick decisions and be able to move quite quickly. So how does that play out to some of the companies that you see in the world? Well, I think that sort of comes about from a lot of hours and hours and months and years of hard work. And all of these people would have done that. So years of developing your technique so that eventually it becomes almost intuitive. 
uh, to what you're seeing out there in the world and you develop a skill for what really matters because let's face it we're all overloaded we're all overwhelmed yep. but if we have an innate sense and feeling for what really matters today or in this minute or this hour whatever it may be or in this situation cut through all the variety and the matrix of considerations but what really matters here and therefore how are people most likely going to respond to that uh, because it is very much about human psychology. We like to think we're logical beings, but we're actually emotional creatures who just use logic to justify our emotional decisions, yeah. right? So um, I think once you reach a level where a lot of that decision-making that they started to make on their feet very quickly was actually intuitive, and intuitive means that you're accessing the wealth of knowledge in your subconscious instead of just trying to use your conscious mind to work something out. You, you, that line that you use, and it, it's something that we talk about in sales, is that people buy with emotion and then they justify with logic. But logical people often try and use logic as the lead, so to speak, and they wonder why they're not effective. So, yes. you know, I know we've talked about this uh, around the people who manage money. It could be portfolio managers or advisors. They want to get into the minutia. They want to get into the technical aspect of every bit of their fund. Right yet the buyer isn't buying it for that reason. That's correct. They're buying it for stability. They're buying it through a lack of volatility. They're buying it because they see growth. You know, they, they need an income and they're scared about losing retirement. There's all these emotional reasons and then they want the logic behind it, the rational of they've got good performance over a period of time. I can trust them, I know them, etc. So, So I, I love that idea of that. The second thing is about moving quickly and, and we work with a lot of very large organisations and large doesn't necessarily mean slow, but it can. And I think that with some organisations who do rule by committee, when something like COVID happens and decisions have to be made quickly, some of them really struggle with that. And their people struggle because they struggle. Whereas others who've been able to make very fast decisions, and one leader in particular we work with uh, prefaced everything with every decision we're making is with the most up-to-date information we've got. Yes. It doesn't mean in two hours it might not change, but, but he was able to give real clarity and then be comfortable the next day changing his mind. Yes. Because he said, we now have more information and new information rather than just sticking to that strategy for the sake of it. So I, I love those, those two thoughts. Can I ask, how did you get into being an economist? How did I get into being an economist? Well, after leaving the Royal Australian Navy, went to Sydney University and economics seemed to be attractive. I always had this feeling I wanted to be a global citizen. Okay. And that was a long time ago before many people were thinking about that sort of thing. Uh, but economics and political economics in particular really, really drew me in. Uh, and while I was at university, um, a, a girlfriend tapped me on the shoulder one night and said, you know Macquarie Bank are interviewing tomorrow and BT and Hill Samuel, that was called Hill Samuel then. And I quickly borrowed a suit, typed a, a resume, and that's how I fell into being an economist at then Hill Samuel, who soon after became Macquarie Bank. Not, so it's there on day start. one, they're, yeah. they're on day one. Oh wow. Yeah, Stay there was 750 people then, yes. And, and what did working at Macquarie Bank teach you? Uh, it was actually really remarkably similar. Try, sorry to come back to this, it wasn't meant to be about this, but it was remarkably similar to the military okay. uh, in that it was a pressure cooker. Yep. It, it was like you're in a control or combat warfare room uh, with a lot of computer screens, a lot of buttons to push, and a lot of phones and communication skills, those sorts of things. But I think, you know, a lot of these things come down to sincerity of effort. Okay. If you're giving something your absolute full in every moment, that you're there with total honesty and sincerity and integrity, then you only will get good outcomes. Uh, I think if you try to be uh, a high achiever in a high pressure environment where you have an agenda, 
that's where you will trip over and fall down. If you just surrender to it and become totally committed to the process, if you make a mistake, you're the first to put your hand up and say, I made a mistake. You know, that is appreciated and that allows the whole machine to move more quickly forward. And I think these days a lot of people are very afraid of saying, oh, I've made a mistake, but it's actually a great strength to have. And it's about having that honesty of instant disclosure. And so everyone can trust everyone and move forward as a team. And that's very powerful. It's interesting. We, we did a masterclass interview with a gentleman by the name of Josh Kennedy, who played for the Sydney Swans um, 16 seasons in the wow. AFL. And we talked about leadership because he coached the Sydney Swans and he, and he talked about their trademarks, their standards they live to. And one of them is the word hard. And it's so simple that it reminds me of your sincerity of effort. Yeah. And they talk about 100% of effort, 100% of the time. Right. And we know while that's not totally possible, no. that's the goal and that's the yeah, aim. Yeah, it's a little bit of a low sort of target, really, Johnny. It's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, 100% I, per I personally have a, a target of 110 and even with my children, when they were learning to run races, I'd always say you were doing the 100 meter. Yep. Imagine the finishing line is another 10 meters. Okay. So that way, when you cross the 100 mark, you're going full speed, Okay. right? You're not, oh, I'm at the end of the race. Yep. You're going full speed to a further target. Okay. So always aim a little bit higher than what the potential is, I think. I love it, I love but it. So the word should be harder, maybe. Harder, maybe, maybe. Um, I want to now explore this idea of you don't just train to be an economist and then stop, right? It's this ongoing, and, and we use this terminology in, in sales and in pitching and negotiation is this idea that we believe that sales should be treated as a profession, that we're so quick to want to become a technical specialist or a technical expert. Right. For those who are selling and communicating, it is a ongoing forever skill that you need to keep learning on, keep reviewing and keep practicing and keep performing at. So what goes into becoming an economist over a long period of time that you've been able to do? Okay, so for sales, I think, I imagine it's very similar to uh, economics. And as you know, I'm an economist who's heavily involved in global financial markets. Yes. Uh, and these are all evolving animals, organic creatures. So, you know, when you're in sales, I'm sure it's the same thing. Your, your target audience is an evolving organic being. It's not a static set of statistics. And that evolution has sped up. I mean, it's never sped up more quickly than it, you know, to a quicker state than it is now. Yes. So as an economist, why I call what I do look out the windows and window economics and apply common sense is what's happening in the world now? How will people react to that? What's their mood? For instance, the British will often be too pessimistic. The Americans will often be too optimistic, but you can look for soft underbellies or error. I'm not sure how you translate it directly to sales, but what I do a lot of the time is I see what everyone is thinking, what the, the main thrust of that of our industry is at the moment in terms of sentiment or view on an economy or a financial market. Uh, and then I look for a soft underbelly. Is there something wrong with that fundamental argument given that human beings may react differently. And then you can bring it down to individual leaders. So, you know, the character, the personality of the governor of the Reserve Bank is such, or, you know, the same for the Federal Reserve Chairman in the United States. Um, but it very much the mass psychology wants the soft underbelly. I guess what I'm coming back to, and maybe this will be some great breakthrough idea for sales, I'm not sure how to translate it. Yep. But for me, it's remembering, because everyone teaches markets are right. Now, I'm sure everyone teaches the customer is right. 
but everyone teaches the market is right. And that's just not true. Okay. The market is always wrong. Okay. Right? Uh, and the reason markets move around a lot is because they're trying to find the correct value of balance between buyers and sellers. They're trying to find right. So you get these volatile swings that are based purely in emotion and herd instinct and follow the leader type phenomena. Yep. Okay, so the market is always wrong and it's always find, trying to find right. If market sentiment, so that's all the, all the banks, the investment banks, the brokers, the major hedge funds, the financial media institutions, if they all have a particular view, say that a stock market is going to go up, then there's probably not much opportunity in joining that view because there's not, the market isn't going to have much further to go because all of the energy to get it to where it is has probably already been expended. Okay. But if the market is wrong and you're looking for a soft underbelly, when a whole market has to turn and change direction, that's when fortunes are made. Um, and we may be at one of those moments now in history, but that's certainly where fortunes are made. I mean, the Kennedy family in the United States, they all got out of their stocks just before the crash, and they all bought property at 10 cents on the dollar a few years later. That's how the Kennedys became wealthy. Um, so you should, you know, just as an aside, if I may, people shouldn't be fearful of very challenging circumstances or situations such as COVID was for the retail sector. Yeah. It's an opportunity to gain an advantage over your competitors if you think through it smarter and you're quicker on your feet as we've discussed and you have an open mind to where the world may be evolving in an entirely different way. So coming back to the economist point of view, the, the worst thing an economist could do today is refer to textbook principles yeah. because they rarely work. And also data is so slow behind what's happening in the real world. So it's very much think on your feet, but be prepared to see a different world to what anyone else is currently seeing. How interesting. It, it, it's this idea of seeing the mood, which I really like. And, and a number of years ago, everything I was reading was that online was killing retail. And this is before COVID, so I don't want to sort of hit the fact that you know, when business have to close down, that changes everything. We need to be dynamic. And then I went shopping on a particular weekend and I had some of the worst experience I've ever had in retail. And so I went to my computer and I wrote a blog. And I talked about this idea is that retail needs to offer something better than online. So an online experience back then in buying a fridge was put simply, it had a picture of the fridge, it had the dimensions. So you had to know everything you wanted and then online could offer you the best possible price. Mm. But I didn't know what fridge I wanted. I didn't really understand the difference between and this versus that. And you couldn't open that. the door and get couldn't a feeling for it. Couldn't open the door and feel for it. But then I went in to have a look at a fridge and the person knew less than I did. And the experience was that I waited 45 minutes before someone would serve me and they were serving two others at the same time. And then the price was significantly more. And so the blog I talked about is that the fridge was $200 more, which I would have been happy to pay if that person taught me yes. that fridge was best for me, my family, my household and my circumstances. They didn't have to sell me on $3,200 just the $200 difference between what they were selling and what online had to sell. Gosh. And where the gap was I was seeing is they weren't offering anything for that extra $200. Really? And so the great retailers give you a great experience. Yes. You walk in and you feel from the moment you get there. The experience where I met you was uh, at a restaurant, um, which- uh, A very nice restaurant. Very nice restaurant. We all sat next to each other, but they're well known from the moment you walk in they make you feel special. Yes. They make sure you sit down. There's someone who will take a drink straight away for you. You know, they, they make it an It's almost an instant family experience. hundred yes. percent. And so I suppose that when we talk about that ability of being able to deal with what's going on and being dynamic, and you talked about it from an economy standpoint, 
you know, COVID made a lot of wealthy people because they thought on their feet, they moved quickly, and the clients we saw that struggled were the ones that tried to just, let's wait it out. Let's just see what happens when the world changed. And it will probably change forever in the way we communicate, and that's not a bad thing. You know, and so how do we be dynamic and how do we make those shifts quickly? Yes, and, and monitor the swinging of the pendulum because yes. it'll swing towards we want to work from home, we want to shop from home, yep. then suddenly people will get tired of that and there will be a swing back towards, no, I want to be out and about in the shopping centre or the mall or the yep. corner store, whatever it may be. So just constantly monitoring that swinging pendulum. We were talking about this recently uh, doing a quick blog because we, we find that COVID hits and salespeople and, and even investors, we will only work on Zoom now. So 100%. And then suddenly we're allowed out again. So everything is now 100% face to face. And then we're locked down again. So we're back over here. And then we're back over here, which is surely we learned something during COVID that we can have certain meetings where we don't need to be in the same room. Yes. But we also learned from coming out of COVID that it's really easy to build relationships and have conversations face to face. And it's enjoyable to get that interaction. Yes. So why aren't we looking for the best possible operating rhythm that utilizes all of it yes. as opposed to one or the other? I've got one little idea I've always had for the fashion industry. Okay. Why doesn't David Jones or someone, you know, sorry for mentioning a brand, but why, why doesn't a big fashion store have sort of a very welcoming uh, come in, try the clothes, feel the fabric. Because yep. I've always wondered about that. Buy clothes online, you can't feel the fabric. Yep. Uh, see how it looks on you. But then you can choose to buy it from uh, our importer, our, you know, from offshore, via China, Vietnam, wherever it's, or France, Italy, wherever yep. it's made at a certain price. So you can buy it in store now at a higher price. Yep. Uh, but people have that choice, but they're welcomed in to try on the clothes physically, but still have the option to purchase online. It's interesting. I did go to a shop actually on the uh, on the central coast where they had everything in there and they were having an issue with their their payment system internally. So they just did everything online. And I thought, that's a really good system. I get to try it, but then I don't have to line up. I just yes. have to do this. And she had it ready for me. You know, yes. I grabbed a yeah. cup of coffee and it was all ready to go. So I, th I think there is something in this. So some entrepreneurs watching, I'm sure, can, yeah. uh, can put something in there. The, the bit I suppose that really struck me is, is, as I said, we were sitting next to each other at a restaurant and, and you introduced uh, a friend of yours who, yes. who, you know, potentially I'm going to have a cup of coffee with soon and, and catch up on, but it was your communication. And this idea that we talk about that often technical specialists struggle to communicate what it is that they do well, mm -hmm. and you are really engaging immediately. So I'm really keen to get an understanding of what have you done to be able to increase your communication skills and become an expert in that per se? Okay. I think we as human beings are incredibly capable and powerful and our brains are just such fast learners. So it's what your underlying premise of what you're doing is. I mean, if your underlying premise is to close a sale or something, that's one thing. But my underlying premise is, as we're doing here today, Johnny, and, and with everyone who's involved today, is every day I start out, every human being I reach today, I want to make their day better. I want to make their life better. It doesn't matter if it's someone standing next to me waiting to cross the road, I'll say something to make their day better. If it's uh, buying a cup of coffee, the person who serves me, make their day better. It's an important client meeting, make, make the person's day better. So it's every, and it's, if it's people at the end of a camera lens, Yep. make their day better. How can I help them? So for instance, before our chat today, all I'm asking myself and getting my subconscious primed for yep. is how can I help these people? Like, how can I 
today on this day help these people? Because everyone out there in the audience could give a speech or a lecture on what they're skilled at as well. It just happens to be our turn today yeah. at the moment. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just our turn at the moment. But so yeah, if, if in everything you do, you're trying to make add value to that other person, every person you reach, 24 seven, yeah. then it just becomes a rhythm of being sincere, jo a little bit jovial perhaps, uh, but wanting to communicate something that might be appropriate in this time, in this moment. Uh, in 2012, I had the opportunity to speak at an event uh, and there was a number of interesting speakers. Uh, Donald Trump was one of them uh, that, that dialed in via Zoom. He, I think he cancelled the week before from being there in person. So, uh, but there was a gentleman by the name of Robin Sharma, who's a New York Times bestseller. And he often talks about this idea of reaching people and making their lives better, making their day better, uh, and everything about it. And I'd read two of his books and, and they, they are really brilliant books. He, he writes these fables uh, to get a message across but meeting him in the speaker's area beforehand and watching him getting into the zone, so to speak. And then when I actually said, Robin, nice to meet you, I'm a big fan of your books. The way he was able to pause, look me in the eye, have a conversation, ask me what I was doing. You know, that, that one minute interaction made my day better. Right. And then he got on stage and delivered. He was phenomenal when he was on stage. And that stayed with you all these years. It definitely stayed with me all these years. And it, it's that idea of it's easy to, to say it, yes. but to actually demonstrate it, to go about and do it. And so what you're talking to and what I take from it is this idea of intent. You have an intent to change people's lives, to make their day better, to make their lives better. And a number of our clients who might manage people's money or they might have a specific product, they have that same intent that they want to do, but speaking and communicating is also a skill. And so you could have the, the greatest intent, but you could talk too much or you could cover your face or you could stick with one tone the entire way through and your message isn't going to get across. Yes. And so while we're rehearsing people sometimes and they get very, very nervous, we often say to them, our goal for you is to have your message come out in the best possible way. Yes. You know, our goal for you is for you to be heard and for you to be seen. Yeah. And that's why we're rehearsing and that's why we're practicing. Yeah. I suppose that the intent I love, and I think it's really great for people to, to really understand that and get that, but from a skill set perspective, have you had formal training or is it something that you've worked on or is it innate? I've, I've worked on it for sure. And we all do. We all work on everything we do. But I think, again, I sort of come back to that idea that the brain's incredibly powerful. So if you give it an objective, yep. it will help make it happen. Okay. So everything you were just talking about then is fantastic stuff because so few people know how to get up and really speak. Yep. And you're providing the technical know-how and the steps and the structures for them to do so. And as you said, get their message across as well as possible. I'll give you a couple of little fundamental things that I've always done with my talks. I'm a little bit different to most people and this may not apply to everyone. Okay, I'll just sort of do one, two, three things if that's okay. Yeah, that'd be right. So the first one is be aware that the audience cannot see how nervous you are. Okay. Okay, so you might feel ner you know, nervous at 100, they're only seeing five. So they, the audience only perceives 5% of how nervous you are feeling on the inside. And that's been a big help to me because it, it's meant that every time I feel really nervous, oh, I've lost my place, what was I doing? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, they can only see 5%. Okay. And so it gives you a fresh impetus to go again, you feel okay. And the other thing to remember is that any time period that you lapse, you stop speaking for, 
that that it's far less for the audience than it is for you. And it, just, it just pick like up and run. Seconds, but that it's felt only like three one. years what yeah, I just did yeah, you. Yeah, that's then. Right. But you just pick up and you run again. And also to understand the audience is quite happy for you to make mistakes if you're if your intention is pure. So if you're actually trying to help the audience, they don't mind if you might get a few words wrong, they don't mind if you get a few principles and you have to go back on yourself or whatever. They're looking for authenticity. Yes. So if you authentically want to help. Um, one of the things I've always done, uh, well, for as long as I can remember now, I'm a little bit different, this is where I'm a little bit different. I don't use any PowerPoints. Yep. Because I believe every audience on every day is a different audience needing a different message. Okay, so I trust the subconscious, given that I've already got, I've amassed over decades, a lot of knowledge, experiences and, and information. I trust my subconscious to bring that up for me appropriately. So one little trick I do, and I've never told anyone this uh, before publicly. So it's an exclusive, you could say. This is an exclusive Fantastic. groundbreaking, yes. Yeah. Is that uh, if I'm giving a speech, and the biggest, I mean, I once gave a speech to 29 presidents and prime ministers at APEC and Vladivostok, and I once gave a speech to 600 of the most senior uh, chief financial officers in the US, at, in Miami. Uh, and I've also given speeches for, you know, mums and dad investors, and they're all the same pressure. But what I do on every occasion is I stand back in the back of the room, I watch people walk in, I remember doing when the, you know, hundreds of people walk into a talk, and I stand in the back, and I look at people as they walk in, and I just ask myself, how can I help you? 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 How can I help that group? How can I help that? How can I help them? And then you give, you prime yourself that you're gonna help those people to the maximum of your ability. And then you walk up on stage, and I trust that it will come. Now that's after decades of doing this. So when people are just starting out, have your notes and things, but be prepared willing to ad lib. If you get a feeling, run with it, because that's your subconscious telling you, this is something this audience wants to know. It's, it's interesting you talk about, number one, the nerves aspect. And, and so often we have clients tell us how nervous and anxious they are coming in. And, or they stand up and they deliver something and they talk to the nerves, post it, but you couldn't see it. Now we're looking specifically when we're and assessing it. And that's great for observing. them to see that and yeah. learn that. And often we'll film them so they actually get to see how nervous they yes. are because it's, it's a really critical point. Um, but I also, I remember walking into a pitch once and it was not an ideal circumstance. Everything was changed at the very last minute. We were called in at the last minute. And I remember it's meant to be two people and it was, I think, 16 people. The entire exec was there. And I remember <laughs> shaking. I can't tell you what it was, That's but I was different. physically shaking under the table. And I just thought, there's no chance we're going to win this because I was so nervous in there. And I walked out and my colleague said to me, because you're amazing. You just never get nervous, do you? You're always so <laughs> confident. And then I got a text message from one of the clients inside to say, you were brilliant. It's unanimous. We've chosen you. Well done, mate. And I remember walking out thinking, I'm pretty experienced in this, but the difference between where I thought I was versus where I actually was yes. was so far apart. Yes. So I think that's such great advice to give. Yes. The second thing I really want to touch on, and I think I don't want this to get missed in the audience, is that every audience is different. Now, we, our methodology when it comes to selling is we're methodology agnostic because how can you have a strict prescriptive methodology when every person's different? Right. How can you say, well, you must go in and then build rapport and then ask these questions and then do this when a certain buyer may not want to buy that way? And the audience is the same except times it by 50 or times it by 100 because there's so many of them. Yes. So that idea of, and this is you living what you say you do, is 
you're testing the mood. You're testing the audience. Now, I did imagine you there as working at McDonald's, how can I help you, how can I help you, how can I help you, as people walk in, but it's, it's that mentality of, what's the mood of the room? How can I help them? How can I deliver? How can I add value to them? And even on the day, the news headlines in the morning may have shifted their mood. I mean, I often just check the news headlines on the day, sort of give a feeling what might be in their minds yep. when they walk in. You know? And there's nothing better than hearing a speaker talk about things that are current, that are newsworthy. And so you're reading headlines, which means your talk for them is unique. Now, we're often asked to run the same session three times in a day to different audiences, and they'll say, um, I'll just record one of them because they're all the same session. And we always say, they're never the same well session. Done. Well you done. You cannot ever have the same session more than once. Uh, and I think that's really important. So I think if, if you know, if people watching this understand that uh, three things I take. Number one, these are learnt skills, right? They really are. And experience adds to it, but you've got to be really conscious and mindful. Number two, we're rarely as nervous as we think we are uh, or we're being seen as that. The amount of people who feel they're bright red and they're completely the same complexion as they were beforehand, I think is really important. But I think that, that number three, that idea of every audience and every individual is different. Our technical term we use is an audience analysis or a stakeholder analysis going in, but you actually live and breathe it. I think that's really, really clever and really interesting. I think you just keep going with the moment and you trust in yourself. Yep. And you just look at the audience and you just think all of those people, each one of those individual people could stand up here and give me a, a lecture, yep. but it's just my turn. And then you feel more involved with the audience as well. And just feeling the audience as you go through. I remember, I think I had one moment where I gave my best talk ever because I couldn't remember a thing I said after I got off the stage okay. and sat down at the table and I was thinking, what just happened? Yeah. And someone said, oh, that was a really great talk. And I, okay, okay, it must have been in Zen, but that's only ever happened to me once. Just once. But it's that really just, you know, giving to that objective of how can I help you in this moment, which is what you guys are doing, obviously. Well, being in the moment, you know, that idea of being present. So when people talk about, um, and we were, we were coaching some portfolio managers recently, and one in particular only felt comfortable if he had his notes. But as soon as he had notes, he was disconnecting from the audience. He was right. disconnecting yes. from us in the rehearsal. Yes. And I kept saying, what do you think is more important? Getting a percentage point right yes. or actually engaging yes. with me? You know, being present and having a conversation. Yes. And I think that the ones where you do forget what you said, it's because you were solely present with you in the audience. And that's, that's my favorite moment. And, and I speak for a living, okay. but one of my uh, best friends got married overseas. And I actually got nervous about the best man speech. I was, I was oh, best yeah, man. Oh, yeah, but it's a whole different game, isn't it? A whole different game. And I was nervous, so I started putting a lot of preparation in. And I, and I wrote a script. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't write scripts in anything yeah, that I do. Yeah. Why am I suddenly writing a script? So then I broke it down into certain bullet points. Yes. And I had my iPad there ready. I'd emailed it to myself. Right. And just before I was about to get up, I accidentally deleted it. Wow. And I thought, the universe was I, helping I don't you have jump. the notes there. And I was looking literally as I'm being called on stage and I've just said, okay, well, I, I don't have it now. And I was able to just be present with the audience. And it was one of the most fun experiences of my life, right. but it made me speak more from the heart. I was about to say, it's the great opportunity to speak from, from your heart at a wedding. But I'd already built the structure yes. as well. So I knew the key messages. I knew what I wanted to get out of it. And so it's that idea of, I think if we rehearse well enough, we structure it properly, and that then, allows us to be present yes. in the moment. And then one of the things I do 
quite often, not necessarily all the time, maybe I should do it all the time, is 20 minutes, 30 minutes before, just have a quiet moment to yourself somewhere and just do a mind map, you know, just squiggle on some pieces of paper what you think the key points are and look, just to do a little of a, bit of a mind map of your topics uh, and then feel the audience and just go for it. Like have fun doing yeah. it like most people and also you're not up there to prove to people you're important yeah you're not up there to prove to people you're the smartest person in the world you're not up there to prove that you know more than everyone else you're just up there to contribute to their spectrum of thought with the little bit of information you've got to give them to slot in for their own decision making so it's very much about it's not about you it's about them yeah and if you can make that move that shift i think it's very powerful I had a mentor when I was very, very young, and when you spoke just then, uh, it really hit me. And he used to always say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And again, I, I feel like when you speak, you're speaking for the audience. You're demonstrating you actually care about them getting something out of it. Yes. And I always like that idea of whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's 15-on-one or 1,500 on one, they're putting their time aside. And as a consultant for a long time, I value my time very, very highly. In fact, I have an exact dollar value. I know that what it's worth. Yes. But I also value it because I know I could be doing something else and that everyone, and I used to think of that when I was a salesperson in someone's home, they used to talk about who are your competitors. And my competitors used to be friends or the Simpsons, you know, or, or having dinner with their family or a conversation. Right. You know, could, they, could, really they, they could be sitting with yes. me yes. talking about, yes. you know, what I was there to it, but they could be doing any wonder of, number of other things. And so really valuing their time and allowing them to get something out of it, I think is really important. I've even started a couple of talks, particularly if they're on the weekend or they're out of hours or something with, I just want to thank you for giving me your time, some of your time today. I hope I yeah. make it well worthwhile for you. Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah, very important. The other thing you talked about is a mind map. And we did a masterclass with Chaz from The Chaser, of you know, Chaser's okay, War and everything. Well and what I think surprised all of us when we saw it is he talked about the science that goes into their pranks and their stunts. And so this idea, we just think they're a bit crazy, they're very clever, you know, they, they get a quick idea and they go out and do it. But they have mapped every scenario, good and I won't say every scenario, I think their G20 summit, they, were, they weren't meant to get through every oh, security. They didn't, they didn't expect to get through. <laughs> I remember that. So far, I yeah. remember that. But, but, but most of those scenarios are done yes. in advance. But he does that so he can be present and just be confident in it. He says, very rarely do I even say the things that I've actually written down, but I don't worry about it because I can just be there and be confident going in. Yes. And I think it's that idea of taking some time, be present. Uh, and I think when you talk about enjoying it, you know, you really should look at it as an opportunity, like yes. an opportunity to connect multiple people to multiple ideas and, and really impact them. So. Um, I'm fortunate I do enjoy it. Uh, but I think if you can get that mindset and shift that belief system, I think it's helpful. Yeah, I, I, it's a great experience. I mean, we were born to communicate, so yeah. So tell us about what do you do now? What does life as an economist look like? Well, at the moment, I'm sort of a chief economist for financial institutions. So every day for me is get up early and figure out the world again, all okay. over again, uh, with a fresh perspective. I mean, there are so many interesting things happening and there are major tragedies happening in the world at the moment, but you have to put all those together and think about how people react. And to give you an idea of reading the mood, if you like, of, of people as an economic pursuit, for instance, in Europe at the moment, everyone's saying, oh, Europe's you know, growth will slow a little bit because of the tragedy in Ukraine. Uh, but I'm seeing perhaps a recession in Europe because for me, it's uh, very obvious 
that it will impact consumer sentiment. Like people, just imagine you're, you know, you're living in France or Germany or Poland, the family experiences going back over a couple of generations are rather harsh yeah. and you now have a new war. So are you going to go and buy that new car? Are you going to go and buy, you know, renovate the new home completely? Or are you just going to be a little bit cautious and back up a little bit? And so just that process at both the individual consumer level and the small business, large businesses as well level, uh, things could slow down quite dramatically in Europe. So that's a sort of an example, although no, it's, it's not a very example. positive example, but it's an example of reading the room. I was going to say it's the mood again, isn't it? Yes. It's actually reading yes. the mood and, and people are going to make emotional decisions. Yes. And, and you saying that, I, I did have a client recently who's put their renovation on hold uh, okay. for the only reason that their work is putting a more negative outlook on what's going on. And so in their mind there is, do I really want to be spending yes. a year out of my home, yes. all this money, you know, and not know what's going ahead. Why don't I just spend that time with my family, keep the money in the bank and, and be in a strong position. And that kind of brings us, Johnny, to is just having a positive mental attitude for the sake of having a positive mental attitude yeah. necessarily the be all and end all of how you should operate your life. And I think you need to be, a, you should have a positive attitude regardless of the circumstances, yeah. but the circumstances could be a little bit tiresome, a little yeah. bit worrying. But so then in those circumstances, you figure out how to have a positive outlook and move forward. Yeah. But you shouldn't take sort of positive thinking as this idea that you just believe everything will be okay. Yeah. For instance, because in the world in the world at the moment, there are some challenges. Uh, and we could see tremendous slowing in the global economy, particularly the three major economies, Europe, China, USA, throughout the rest of this year. And that could affect people's investment portfolios. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking at at the moment. Yep. I've been sort of telling people play protection since the first week of this year, and I haven't changed my tune. Everyone's okay. been going, what were you on about? And I was saying that before there was a war in Ukraine. Yeah, okay. So it's understanding, understanding concepts, you're probably not familiar with this, Johnny, understanding concepts like hangovers. Yes. So, which I know you're totally unfamiliar with. You, you, um, know, you know me well. And uh, so, for instance, all the stimulus measures in Australia recently and having interest rates near zero, what that all of that actually did was suck forward out of the future a whole lot of economic activity that would have normally occurred was brought back into the last two years. So now into from about where we are now going forward for the next one to two years, there's going to be less work. There's going to be less economic activity. So if you create a mountain of economic activity, you're then going to have a sort of commensurate valley. Yep. And that's what we're about to go into as the Reserve Bank raises rates. And I'm going off on an economic tangent here, but it's my passion. Yep. And so therefore, it's going to be a challenging circumstance in the Australian situation, regardless of which party wins office. So there are headwinds ahead. So your friend is being a little bit cautious. That's probably appropriate. Yeah, when you started talking about this positive mental attitude, and, and, and I am an eternal optimist, but it, but it is that idea. And I think you're saying that's a it's a good thing to have, but also don't use it as a, a blinker. Don't use it as a put our head in the sand because there's real things going on in the world and, and how do we best navigate that? And if so you're a sailor, you know, you, you rig your yacht a little bit differently for a storm and rough yep. weather, but you remain positive. Yep. And some people get confused and they think just expect blue skies all the time. Well, that's unreasonable. Yes. Yeah, that's all I'm warning people about at the moment because in financial markets, a lot of people have tried to look across the valley and just say things are just going to be wonderful. You just buy anyway. And I'm I'm saying, well, no, that's not appropriate because it's a big ocean out there and we're just on one side of it. Yeah, yeah it's I, I did uh, listen to a, 
two people being interviewed about um, the real estate market. And they were saying, just buy, just get in, buy. You know, it's always a good time because you don't try and time markets and these sorts of things. And I, and I was watching it. And whilst I didn't completely disagree, it was coming from a mortgage company versus a real estate agent as well. So yes, there was yes, both yes. had a vested interest in us buying and buying and getting more loans yeah. and things like that. So I think it's interesting. I, I do think as well, and, and I know I keep bringing this back to, to potentially what we do and our customers do, but when we are preparing someone for a talk, preparing them for a pitch or a major negotiation or just a salesperson in their day-to-day role or a leader that's talking to the exec team, whilst we want them to have confidence it's all going to go well, it doesn't always run smoothly. You know, that particular talk that I did in, in Queensland in 2012, the microphone blew on me three times, blew up. They had to replace it whilst I'm on stage in front of 3,000 people. And in the end, I had to use a lectern and butcher paper, and they're on the other Which side of the room. Which wasn't exactly your plan. Wasn't my plan, yeah. um, but I actually think it was probably more engaging as a result yes. because yes. I got to play in the moment with the audience as opposed to just deliver a talk for 30 minutes. One of 17 others that delivered a talk as well. So, you know, it, again, it allowed that idea of me to just put aside the the words, so to speak, and really focus on the connection more yeah, than anything because what else. you focused on was, I'm just here to help, so how can I help now? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I wish I'd put it as well as you did earlier today, but, but yes, I agree. It's, it's that idea of how do I get something across? So when we're preparing people, it is, they might say, I know you've got a presentation, but I've already had a look through it. I want to know these three things. You know, they, they might say, and we had a, one of our clients, a, a major pitch, and they had a beautiful interactive presentation ready for the big screen, and they said, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to give you 15 minutes and we're going to do it here in the lobby. And so they sat there around this tiny table and they wanted to see how they'd react to things that, that weren't going so well. So they were, they were testing them, so to speak. And so from a, a practice and a rehearsal, you know, we're not just assuming everything's going to go perfectly. We want to have done the work so you've got the confidence going forward. If, if you know your material, you yeah. should be able to be stopped in the street and answer in the right way and the right structure to yep. what this person needs. Yeah. You know, and if you go on stage, it's the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and also, the other thing you haven't sort of mentioned, and I really don't know the answer here, John, I'd be interested in your ideas. You know, reading the audience in real time yeah. while you're on stage is so important. I mean, you yeah. know, if you, if you get a few coughs happening, well, then up the ante, add some energy, go a little yeah. bit faster, those sorts well, of things. Well, these days, if you get a few coughs, just get out of there. Cause you know, once <laughs> no, you oh, that's yeah. a bad example. <laughs> no, but I understand what you're saying, but we believe if you've done the preparation you then are confident in what you're saying and the key message, you should be spending your entire time engaging, spending your entire time connecting with the audience and reading what's yes. going on, as opposed to, what am I meant to say next? Like, it's a script. And, and, and that eye contact as much as possible with the audience as well. I remember I did one event, it was way too big to make eye contact with everyone, so I was going, okay, eye contact that table, that table, yeah. that table, and work the room. But always make sure at the end of a, a talk that you've made eye contact with everyone you need to make eye contact yeah. with. Yeah, there is some technical challenge, okay, obviously, okay, with that right. if you're 3,000 so people. I, I, I'm interfering with your coaching. No, no, not at all, not at all. I, I, we don't, you don't have to agree on everything, but I, I agree with you. You want everyone to feel as though you were speaking to them. Yes. But I don't want people who's in front of a thousand people looking at no, all you, one thousand you do people because they're yes, yes that's yes, right. Yeah. And we always talk about that idea of eye contact for maybe a thought and then moving to the next group for a thought and then moving to the next group. But okay, again, that's it's, it's that idea of that. engaging, yeah. that idea of connecting. It's so critical uh, in, in what it is that we do. Now, I feel as though although you're an economist, your skill set 
goes beyond that. You know, you said that idea of a global citizen, so you get that idea of how do people think, and you can really challenge the way people think. I think about some of the clients and our clients and how they run their teams, you know, and that idea of reading the mood, reading what's going on. How do we ensure that we understand everyone's different and we work accordingly to, to these sorts of things? And there's things. two aspects to this. So I'm trying to pick up on the mood in a particular country or a particular market or a particular group of hedge funds or financial media, whatever it is, what's that mood? But then after I absorb all that, how I'm helping my clients is to interrupt their pattern of thought. So they'll have the same pattern of thought that's out there in the broad market. My job is to interrupt. If I see something that could be alarming or different, it could be better than the market could be bearish. And I think something good's going to happen, for instance. But my job is to interrupt their pattern of thought. And so sometimes you need to be a little bit jarring yeah. in how you do that. Hey, hello, you know, you, you sort of got to hit the nail on the head or something. I'm trying to think of the right analogy. Yeah. But anyway, you, you've got to make a big impact, wake them up, and then they look at you, and then maybe they hear what you're saying. So it's all very well to have content, but you have to be a little bit jarring in some capacity to get them to think differently. Because the big part, I'm being a successful economist. If I've spotted something that is different to what the mainstream is, thinking and reporting yep. and I've spotted something significant and then it's not it's not enough for me to know that I have to make sure that my clients get to feel that so I can't just give them the information I've got to really tap into them and jar them and sometimes I'll do that with a photo that's completely different to what they're expecting you know so a lot of economists put up charts but I actually put up photos of like an egg on a skateboard or something okay. you know just interrupt the pattern hello I've got something to say here about having fun and taking risks or you know yeah. you know that sort of thing I love it now I remember speaking at an event once and there was a large number of speakers and a few of them were very very salesy and I know I'm in the sales industry, but I, I mean salesy in a negative connotation. And they were saying things like, uh, improve your closure rate by over 50% uh, by using this one line or by asking these two questions. And I remember getting so frustrated because it, it's impossible to say you can improve your closure rate. What if you already close at 90%? What if you already uh, have a mature business that has a great relationship group versus you're in your first week? You know, there's just so many variables yeah. and also the, the idea that there's a one line. And so I got so frustrated that it was my turn to get up and speak and I was introduced. And I said, um, uh, there's some interesting things that are being touted at this event. And I said, and if you believe some of them, I said, I'm not sure how you are able to work hard enough to afford a ticket to this event in the first place. And I said, because if you think you can improve sales by 50% by saying one line, that general term, and I said, like something about it, it's just not possible. And I said, because every person we meet is different. How we deliver that line is gonna be important. When we deliver that line, right? Who we're delivering it to. And I said, there are so many variables. How can we think that one piece of communication will impact so broadly? Right. right? And the greatest gift you can give is to get people to be thinking for themselves yes. about these issues, yes. designing for themselves. Even in trading, similarly, you know, go to a trading uh, expo or something and all these people are getting up and saying, if you do this, one, two, three, you'll get rich. Yes. You know? And I get up and I say, trading is the hardest way to make an easy living there is, right? Yeah, okay. It's not easy at all. And But one of the big things that I teach is that there's your knowledge bank of how what's going on in the world and then there's the market. They're two, and, and 
Having your economic view and trading markets are two distinct art forms, but where you get it right is how you interact with the market has to be in a way that's harmonious with your circumstances. So for a salesperson or whatever, how they interact with their client has to be in harmony with what they can deliver and what the client, where the client is at. So it's, that, it's the interaction between you've got yourself set to do the sale, you understand your client, but what's, what's the style of interaction, the nuance of interaction there? So as you were saying, there's no real, there, there are answers and guideposts, but you've got to be approaching everything with a far more nuanced way, in a more nuanced way, than a lot of these ticker box, you know, this is how you make a sale, tick these boxes. Yeah. They're, they're just like stepping stones, but there's an awful lot of earth and, and terrain around those stepping stones. I love it, I love it. Now, I'm mindful of your time, and I don't want to take up too much of it. For a number of our clients who, who might want to hear more of you speak and things like this, how do they get in touch with you? Well, probably the best way to get in contact with me is my website's uh, a little bit different to the usual Economist website. I can so imagine be already. Ready for I a think surprise. People, are, people are understanding be ready for already. A surprise. But it's cliffordbennett.com.au. Okay. And there's a little contact page on there. Um, and that's the best way. Um, I, have, I provide free reports to people. So free daily reports. All they have to do is just hit that contact page and and send me their email address and uh, I'll start giving them some of my ideas and they can take it from there. I love it. I, I'm hoping that there's some photo Thank of you an that. egg on a skateboard, by the way. As yeah, well. I'll make sure that one's near the top. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And I think that, that anyone who's, who's seen this, I, I hope that number one, they're probably, you're getting them thinking around the market themselves. And I know certainly from my perspective, and we've had conversations before, but but that idea of, of you know, that looking out the window approach, I think is really good about a number of aspects of what it is that we I do. I mean, if you're a business person and you're involved in sales and you're involved with a large community within our economy, you probably have a better idea of where the economy is headed, headed rather than some of the ivory tower economists because you can see what's happening on the real world, yeah. in the real world, in real time. They're waiting for data. They're trying to apply textbook principles. You could be way ahead just applying common sense to what you're seeing. Well, I read this recently that there's, a, you know, there's groups out there with hundreds of salespeople or thousands of salespeople who are interacting with 10 or 15 or 20 clients every single week. Right. And they do a one-off survey to their clients and that becomes fact. That becomes gospel that in one moment of their lives you're asking them a survey yes. and we're, we're making every decision based on this as opposed to you have genuine market knowledge about what's going on. Yes. I, I know for us, we deal with thousands of salespeople, sales leaders and organisations. And for us, when we're building technology, we're building products and we're building new offerings, it's based on what we're seeing and feeling and hearing, yes. not what a report is telling us that the world's going to yes. look like in five yes. years' time. And is, isn't it interesting that you use the word feeling then? Yes. 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 Well, it is. A good salesperson is doing a lot of feeling. Well, that's 100%. And, and we sort of talk about this, that there's a number of technology products out there that we use that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars as, as organisations that 85% of salespeople hate using. And so we always see that there's opportunities there that if you can make it easier, like link value to them, yeah. that you're a much higher likelihood of being able to get cut through. Yes. Um, this has been entertaining. It's Good been fun. fun for me. I feel yes. like we've uh, only just started talking, so we yes. may have to do this again. We'll have to keep learning from each other, John. Love it. Can't okay. wait. Thanks Take so care. much for that. All the best. Cheers, Clifford. Cheers.